Well, welcome again. What's up, Praxis? Is Praxis in the room now or are they out serving somewhere? I see you, Mariah. Thank you guys for sharing all that. Jamal, he heard me. He waving. But uh, welcome to your cousin's house. I don't know what our flair is, but I'd like to know um, whatever that might look like. And then Nate just walked out. Make sure you tell him happy birthday tonight. He's uh, 27 years young, something like that. But he's playing bass on his birthday, showing up, you know, when the worship team does that too singing, leading songs, and doing announcements all on his birthday. And we even have a nice little meeting tonight to discuss vision, uh, not for his life, but for the church. So just thank him because he's poured out his life for City Life for most of our 10-year existence. Not even just this campus, but the Newport News campus, the Williamsburg campus, every campus we've ever had, he's poured into it. So I can just gush on him and it won't go to his head because he's not here right now listening. So he's amazing. He's incredible. We wouldn't be where we are without him. So definitely thank him, but then also tell him happy birthday tonight. But welcome here on this Saturday night. We love church on Saturday. We celebrate it, uh, just the idea that it frees up your Sunday. And we're celebrating it on social media with a nice little social media blitz. And the outline looks like this. The outline looks like church on Saturday, fill in the blank on Sunday. Because it really does. It opens up your Sunday to do pretty much whatever you want. So the idea is you post whatever your Sunday morning routine is to whatever your social media platform is, Facebook, uh, Instagram, MySpace, we don't have an option for that, but basically Facebook and Instagram, hashtag church on Saturday, tag the church, show us what you're doing, and you might just win a little something, something. So here are some of the examples. Uh, The first is church on Saturday, strategy on Sunday, because we have some people that serve in some amazing ways here, like Stephanie Birch, strategizing for some of the ministries she does to establish footsteps, going into prisons, jails. It's awesome what they do. And then Carrie Shannon, our very own Carrie Shannon, planning for a sponsorship drive that's coming up soon through Food for the Hungry. So be praying about that. That's on the horizon. That's coming. But that's church on Saturday, strategy on Sunday. But for maybe some of you guys, like, that kind of work is like cussing, doing that on a a Sunday morning. So maybe it's more, it should look more like this for you. Church on Saturday, the top one's lower, latte on Sunday. The bottom one was Anthony, coffee and books on Sunday. That's what my Sunday morning looks like. Steph is sleep. I think Tyler shouted that out. Nate shouted that out. Steph's Sunday morning. The whole AM is, hey, I'm sleeping or I'm at least going to be in the horizontal position. I like to get up, get some coffee. The bottom picture, that's, that's my Sunday morning. That's what I like to do. Coffee, the coffee fix and chill, whatever you want to call it. But uh, last week was awesome because there was also like just a date night just set up for us at Outcry. It was like this worship experience. Hillsong was there. Jesus Culture was there. Uh, Elevation was there. Carrie Joe was, every song we've ever done here at church was They've probably done it at some point, either wrote it or covered it. So it was amazing. It was awesome to go. Um, but we did say that there was going to be a winner, and there were a, a couple dozen of them. So thank you, everybody, that did that. But one kind of took the cake, and it, it was this one here. It was church on Saturday, learning the Our Father on Sunday. So that wins basically because of, of cute points, and it's for a church. So learning the Our Father in the back seat, props and respect for that. And I didn't get Brantley anything. You guys are raising him. So I, I didn't get you a children's Bible or a coloring book, but I did get you. I saw you guys went on a Cold Stone date just the other day, and there's enough on there to buy Brantley a little something, something, and just let him know we're encouraging him in his pursuits and learning more and, and memorizing more. So we love that guy, and uh, just tell him we're proud of him. All right? And then keep throwing those out there. Next week, be a little something, something for whoever else won. Whatever you're doing on Sunday, tomorrow our Sunday, We got a buddy that just planted a church, so Steph's going to be getting up tomorrow morning. Mm. 
but we're going to go support. We're going to do a little bit of that support tomorrow. But another thing I love about Saturday night church is Saturday night dinner, because you can be intentional about having dinner, hanging out with somebody, whether you've known them for 10 years, like Nate, or 10 minutes, like a visitor on a Saturday night. Because let's be honest, on Sunday, even if you don't do church on Sunday, that Sunday afternoon nap is still a real thing. Like, it doesn't matter whether you do church in the morning. I think it's like you know Monday's coming and you just want to get like an hour of hibernation in. That Sunday afternoon nap, I realized after switching to Saturday night church, you still take it. But on Saturday nights, you can, again, go out to dinner, meet with some people. So Steph and I, we've been trying to do that, but we, we're, we got a handicap because we've only been here since September. So in a participation moment that is solely for us, what is your favorite restaurant to eat at in this region? Favorite spot to eat? You can get one dish, just one location. Steph, take notes. La Peria. Both of them are, ex- are both of them are just as good? Because the plazas in Newport News, there's, there's tiers, but both are just as good? All right. Anybody else? What did, did you say something, Tammy? Still. Spelled like the, the S-T-I-L-L. All right. See, so write that down. I've never even heard of that in my life. Anybody else? Gianni's? Nice. Never been there either. We're on a roll, guys. I appreciate this. Anybody else? Hey, I'm a fan. Chipotle, I'm in love with Chipotle. Jersey Mike's, is that down here? Really? All right, see? I'm learning. I'm excited. This excites me. Anybody else? Corey's? Koi, like the fish. Koi, koi sushi. Nice. A Hawaiian restaurant. I'll wait. I got all the, all the time in the world. This is important to me. <laughs> you got that? Oh, no? Hawaiian restaurant? All right, cool. See, like, other nights, you guys take notes. Now we get to take notes uh, because of that participation moment. I'm glad none of you threw out, like, uh, Vintage Tavern or the Chop House because, we're at that, like, the tab there, that's not happening anytime soon. Steph and I don't drop a couple hundred dollars on date nights just to eat ever. Ever. Yeah, ever. So, uh... But as I'm praying about this series we've been in, the Good News series, there's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about good news and has this kind of odd menu listing. It talks about what was selling for how much that these people were eating. And it's this text in 2 Kings, it's chapter 6 and chapter 7. And for prices that were far above Vintage Tavern or Ruth's Christ, for $300, you could buy a donkey's head. Yeah, what is right? Because you don't really eat donkeys, let alone the head. This wasn't for some, like, godfather prank, like a a poor man's version. This was to eat. Nobody would normally eat a donkey, let alone the head. You look at uh, another item on the menu that's in the Bible, $20 a pint, dung of a dove, essentially bird poop. $20 a pint, when you do the math, that's what it was selling for. So maybe you're asking, what restaurant is this, and why did anybody eat at it? But what was happening was there was a siege on the nation of Israel, their city, Samaria, by the enemy. They'd enveloped, stripped the entire city of its hope and freedom by surrounding it and shutting it down. We're talking like the movie Troy, where the Trojans were surrounded by Greeks, or Alamo, where there was just but 130 Texans surrounded by 4,000 troops. They were surrounded, outnumbered, and without hope. And I've never been in a siege, but I would imagine... It's claustrophobic. 
There's no escape. There's complete confinement as you're surrounded by the enemy. And we see in Samaria this suffocating sense of desperation and danger that even affected their diet. And when you look spiritually at our culture, we're starving for hope. And we're consuming all kinds of things in our search. And as a result, we too have distorted, displaced values. Steph and I, we know the food line that's a a two-minute walk from our house, like the back of our hand. But it's almost as if somebody went into a grocery store overnight and switched all the items around, switched the prices. So the equivalent of a donkey's head is $300. That's what it seems sometimes in our culture. Like we're a bunch of Esau's willing to sell our birthright for a drive through meal, a quick bite to eat. But in this story, it turns at, at when it starts mentioning these four lepers, four lepers that had less hope than anybody in the city because they were unclean and had to stay outside the city walls. So not only are they under the same siege, but they're actually outside the walls. They have leprosy. They're unclean. So they're like, let's go to the enemy's camp. And what's the worst that could happen? They kill us. We're going to die anyways. So in 2 Kings I'm going to read a little bit of it. At chapter 7, they said, all right, let's go take off. Let's go visit the enemy's camp and see if they'll have mercy. And it says in 2 Kings 7, verse 5, that at twilight they set out for the camp of the the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else. They fled for their lives. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. Finally, though, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone. They recognized that they had a duty to share the good news that they'd come across. And from another perspective, you look at that city, you look at the people in that city, those were God's people, and they were hunkered down, terrified of an enemy that was defeated, that was actually gone. Now, there was a very real siege that went on for some time, but they were still living scared of an enemy that was already defeated. You know, our, our enemy sin, our enemy, the devil, he's already been defeated by Jesus at the cross. But when we look around, just at our culture, at our surroundings as a church, sometimes it feels like we're surrounded. Sometimes it feels like we should be desperate. And when we feel that way, sometimes we can respond in three different ways. And we actually hit on this in our first sermon ever at this campus. But again, there's fortification where we kind of bunker down, put up walls to keep the world out so we're not contaminated. There's domination where we engage in culture, but it's only to to rage against it. It's a culture warrior mentality where, again, we talked last week, the gospel has offense within it. So sometimes we can wrongfully take that as a green light to go and offend some people, point some fingers, sling some stones, draw some lines in the stand, the sand. But then the third is accommodation. It's kind of like the, the pendulum swinging away from domination where you go out into the culture, you embrace them where they're at, but then you never ask them to change. And when you remove that, you jettison the gospel. We're not called to fortification. We're not called to domination. We're not called to accommodation or anything that rhymes with Asian. Couldn't think of anything. We're called to, like it says in 2 Kings 7 of those lepers, to share the good news that we have. 
to share the grace that's in the good news. It's not always easy extending grace. You know, it really is easy, though, as we talked last week, to, to harbor offense and have it against the culture, have it against people and sharing that offense. We talked last week about offense and how common it is and how sometimes it escalates to these crazy lawsuits that we talked about and laughed about. Again, a man broke into a home, got caught in the garage for seven days, ate dried dog food and a 12-pack of Pepsi, sued, and won $500,000 from the insurance company. Crazy, crazy. You didn't know about it, now you know. But when you look around at our culture, Again, you look at our surroundings. There's plenty to be burdened for, to feel a burden for, legitimately. The oppression of the poor, the abortion of children, racial inequality, the neglect of orphans, trafficking of slaves, the list goes on. That's why it's so awesome that we got people in the church like Carrie Shannon strategizing and planning that drive that's going to lead to the sponsorship of the kids in the DR. It's why it's so awesome that we've got people in the church like Stephanie Birch and others in the Newport News campus that are part of established footsteps that minister to jails, that minister to people in strip clothes, because there's a need. We should have a burden for those things. That's why we're a part of Micah's backpack, and props to Paul Birch. Yesterday called me. He's like, we do this quarterly donation deal. Can we do it to Micah's backpack? 400, over 400 items, counted them myself, donated to Micah's backpack. So we've been keeping numbers the first month was 50. This month was well over 450. We're going to, I don't know how we're going to beat that. But uh, <laughs> next month, because they only do it once a quarter. So, Paul, you, you kind of set the bar a little high there. But next quarter, we're doing juice boxes. So you can get a, a big old slat of juice boxes. You want to buy one juice box? That's cool, too. But they're, they're, they put one in a bag for each of these kids. And it's crazy because the statistics, we've talked about food anxiety and food insecurity, this idea where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. 15% of kids Students in Virginia have that. And I was talking to, to Babs, Barbara. She goes by Babs because she's cool like that. And she said that at Creekside Elementary, over 40% of the kids there qualify for this program because of how bad the situation is at home. So we're having an impact there. So there's all these things we can be burdened for, all this suffering around us that God calls us to care about. But in all this suffering, Christ above all would have us attack the root of the problem. And that's sin. And the only way to address that is through salvation in Jesus. You see, when a paralytic was brought to Jesus, what's the first thing he said to him? He said, your sins are forgiven. As much as his physical state was in need, his spiritual state was even more important. The deepest suffering went all the way to his heart, and Jesus addressed that first. You look around at the world, there are 6,000 people groups that are still unreached. It's an estimated some 2 billion people. And it's estimated as well that in America, approximately 6,000 people die every day. And that's significant because the number of what you would classify as unreligious, where they don't claim any religion at all, they just would check off unreligious. That number is growing. It's growing in our own neighborhoods. It's growing around us every month, every year. And the church can't settle into this status quo and just sit idly by. You know what should offend 100% of the church, get us wound up and, and amped up and ready to do something is the fact that, again, literally thousands of people are dying daily around us that haven't heard a, a clear presentation of the gospel. Have they heard about Jesus? Sure. They know about 
the church, but their knowledge is based on secondhand knowledge, hearsay, assumptions. It's quite possible that many of these people we walk past daily have never heard just a clear presentation of the good news, what Jesus means to their life, whatever their background is, whatever their experiences have been. Jesus wants to intersect every life we pass daily. Romans 1, verse 5 and then 16, it's the key verse for tonight. Romans 1, verses 5 and then 16, and it's through 17, and this is the message version we're going to read here. But it says, through him, Jesus, we received both the generous gift of his life and the urgent task of passing it on to others who receive it by entering into obedient trust in Jesus. He goes on to say later in that chapter, it's news I am most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him, starting with the Jews and right on to everyone else. See, the the number of people, when we realize that that we've given not just the gift of of Jesus' life and the grace that comes with it, but also the task of passing it on to others, when we realize the number that are still unreached, that should offend us in that it should stir us to action. We shouldn't just get offended, upset. It should stir us to offense, (laughs) to not just offense, but offense. If you just change the way you say the O, it means two different things. There's two different definitions for that word. We talked last week about how it makes offense, or excuse me, offense. See, I'm even getting tripped up. Offense, you take offense, you're upset. You've been wound up, like my tongue right now. You, You go on offense, that definition means to make attack. To be aggressive, not passive. So again, don't just take offense when you look at our culture, but begin to take offense. Because the one solution to every problem that's universal solution to every problem we see in everyone's heart is Jesus Christ. And if we can proclaim our stance on issues, but we never proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, then we're doing it wrong. Again, that second definition, offense. Offense, just like offense. Okay, I'm going to say it right the rest of the way. Making attack. Aggressive not passive. You know, uh, a lot of you do know, especially if you're a man, the last three days have been the NFL draft. Denise knows what's up. It's like a three-day oasis in just the desert that is the NFL offseason. And what also, it's like If you've been in a desert of losing year after year, there's this oasis of hope because every one of the people you draft is 100% potential. And if you're crazy enough, you could think every one of them is going to be a Hall of Famer that's going to lead your team to the Super Bowl. And there's been a premium the past two years. Some of you aren't going to care, but there's been a premium on quarterbacks. The first two picks in the past two drafts have been quarterbacks. And again, some of you are probably like, "I, I don't care. I don't do sports. But the reason there's a premium on quarterbacks is because there's a universal rule in almost every sport that everybody here can understand, and that's that if you don't score points, you don't win. It's a fact. If you go back to Isaiah 41, God is talking to the Israelites about the Israelites who had lost their focus on what was important. And in Isaiah 41, God says to the prophet Isaiah, around here there's no one, no one who knows what's going on. I ask, but no one can tell me the score. See, there's a score There's a number that God is aware of. And you know the number that God cares most about? It's all and none. Peter says in his epistle that that God wants all to come to the knowledge of Christ and for none to perish. So every one person that we can reach is significant. 
Because every one person gets us closer to all and further away from none. People matter. You know, head counts matter because every head represents a heart. There's power in that. The good news matters to God. So there's two important steps that we can take. Not just take offense, but to step into offense. I said it right that time. And yes, the NFL draft have kind of made them football related, but that's neither here nor there. The first is this, although there's that point if you want to write it down. Don't just take a stance, advance the kingdom. But the first is this, join the team. Join the team. How many of you guys have ever been to an NFL game? Went for the first time a few years ago. Steph went for the first time like about a year ago. You walk in there the first time, I've never been to the Roman Coliseum. I'm probably never going to be to the Roman Coliseum. I'm certainly never going to be there when it's packed full of people in every seat. But when I go there, I imagine that's what it's like. This crowd of people yelling, going nuts over people doing physical feats. Luckily here, nobody dies, right? But they're, they're playing a game, and people are screaming. The, the crowds are packed. Some are borderline obsessed, right? They can rattle off the last 12 quarterbacks, what their statistics were in their, in their rookie season. And, and all those people come to the game, tens of thousands. Only 22 play on the field at any given time. Thousands of fans sit and watch in those stadiums. If you count the people that watch on TV, millions of people watch. But they never take a hit. They never break a sweat. They know nothing of the pain and sacrifice that some of those players go through. And, you know, sometimes that's what the church looks like. We settle in as fans, as enthusiastic admirers. We celebrate our faith. We talk about our faith. Maybe we can rattle off Bible verses like one of those guys can rattle off somebody's statistics. We know the Old Testament. We know history. But sometimes we never do anything that requires the substance of faith. We don't actually walk out the commission that the church has been called to. We end up spectating. And a life of passive observation instead of active participation, a life as a spectator is a wasted life when you look at all the things that God has called us to. You know, church, like football, the sport of football, it's not about one person. It's a team sport. Brian Houston was the speaker last week at the Outcry Tour, he's the pastor of a, a huge, massive church in Australia that's, that Hillsong came out of, all this amazing worship has come out of, but really just so much ministry has come out of. And he said about the church that healthy churches are not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. Again, the sacrifices like the ones Nate has made for 10 years, the sacrifices is the Smiths nod their head, it's probably their first week off and in weeks now, you know, so sacrifices of many. It's built on what many people do. Because when Jesus comes back, he's not going to say, well, well thought, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well said, good and faithful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's a doing that we're called to do when you read the Great Commission to grow God's church, to grow his kingdom. But again, you look at the NFL draft, and these are blue chip prospects out of high school that were selected, given scholarships. And then before the NFL draft, they've shown themselves to be some of the best in the entire nation out of thousands of players in college. So they didn't just walk into the draft in a suit off the street. And maybe we think, yeah, I'm not totally qualified for this whole building God's kingdom thing either. And if I was further along in my faith, then I'd be more active in, in reaching out and reaching people and evangelizing and sharing the good news. I just knew it better or felt more qualified. And we paint that as a humble stance when really it's, it's selfish because it's a cop-out. We think if I, if, I, if I grow, then I'll start reaching out. 
Really, you start reaching out, you start evangelizing, you start sharing whatever it is you know where you're at now, you will grow. It's going to spark growth in your life. And we got to realize that we were drafted to the team the moment we made a vow of devotion to Jesus. It's our call. Again, in Romans 1.5, says in another translation that we received grace and apostleship. That's what Paul says. We received grace and apostleship. Now, apostle, that's a big deal. Somebody that supervises churches. If churches need discipline, he, he speaks into the entire church. And there's a debate as to who we is in that verse. But even if you're not called to, an evang- to be an evangelist, we're still called to evangelism, to be ready to share. You might not have the, the office of a prophet, but you should be able to speak prophetically, speaking the word of God into somebody's life. You may not call to be a preacher or teacher, but you should be able to disciple somebody on the basics. So whether or not we're called to be an apostle, we should have an ap- apostolic mindset because we're sent. See, we're given, if you want to translate it differently, we're given grace and a calling and purpose. And this calling, it's a chain reaction. Chain reaction, by definition, is a sequence of reactions where something causes additional reactions to take place. In our faith, salvation should be something that causes additional reactions to take place. You read the book of Acts. You read about Saul. Upon his conversion, says in verses 19 and 20 that he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach. It's like it was a chain reaction. There there wasn't excuses or waiting. It wasn't, well, I'm a relatively new believer because just weeks ago he had been killing the people who had faith in Jesus, and now he's proclaiming Jesus. And if anybody should have had like a a, a period to just think about it, it should have been him. But I love that in, in the text it doesn't even call him Paul yet. It's still calling him Saul, and he's already sharing his faith. It was fresh, but it was transformational. And maybe, you know, we might think, well, I'm not ordained as a minister. You know, Paul was smart. He had studied the word. He knew the word like the back of his hand, but he didn't meet Peter and the other apostles for years. He didn't get their their confirmation that this guy is legit for years. He didn't wait for a degree or a man's stamp of approval. There's no waiting period on purpose. There's no earning your spot on the team. Again, grace means you're covered, but grace also means you're equipped. You know, grace we like, purpose we like, but when we begin to dial in that purpose. When we get to evangelism, sharing our faith, sometimes we can become wallflowers. Like, hey, I'm good. You see, grace removes the, the weight of sin, but it doesn't remove the, the weight and the work of spreading the gospel. It empowers us to do it. It removes the weight of sin, but it doesn't remove the weight of our purpose, which is to spread the gospel. It doesn't eliminate purpose. It, it empowers us to walk in it. And my prayer is that for every one of us, when we think about evangelism, when we think about sharing our faith and being active in doing it, that that we wouldn't do it out of a low-grade sense of guilt, like, well, I got to do this. I'm going to try to hand out maybe like two reach cards this week, and if I don't, I'm going to feel terrible. I'm going to try to share my faith with somebody today, and if I don't, I'm going to feel terrible. Don't do it out of a low-grade sense of guilt. Do it out of a high-grade grasp of God's grace. What should fuel you and energize you is the appreciation and passion of the grace we've received. This high-grade grasp on grace that will get us out of the bleachers and off the bench and into the game. Because it's hard to be the hands and feet of Jesus when you're on your butt. So get on the team. But secondly, break the huddle. Break the huddle. Huddles are good. They're necessary. 
It's where you draw the play in the sand, or if you want to get spiritual with it, like Habakkuk said, is where you put down the vision so that then people can go and run with it. And they're necessary. There has to be a time to communicate a common vision to the engaged group. It's a time to strategize. It's a time to motivate. And it's no different in the church. Now you're awake. You could call this service our huddle. You could call small groups a huddle. Huddle weekly to refocus. Jesus took a small group in Mark 9, took three disciples closest to him up this hill, up this mountain, to pull away, to recharge, to refocus, and it set the stage for his transfiguration. This moment where he's surrounded by Elijah and Moses and his clothes glow and he looks heavenly and it's what we've known as the transfiguration. And, and Peter's there with him. He's one of the three. And he basically says, hey, let's build some shelters. Let's build some shelters. And to be honest, nobody's sure why. <laughs> could, he, could he be looking towards the festival of shelters? Could he be like, let's pitch tents and stay here? The only fact we get is that Mark says he's speaking out of fear and he wasn't really, it wasn't a well thought out statement. Mark says Peter didn't know what to say because they were frightened, so he spoke impulsively. I think Peter had like a foot-shaped mouth. Probably could fit like a size 9 or 10, whatever his foot was, because he put his foot in his mouth so much from just speaking impulsively. But it's possible that he had an intention with what he said. It's possible that he wanted to prevent the death that Jesus had just predicted. Jesus had just predicted and was beginning to predict again and again that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to be arrested, crucified, die, and after three days rise again. It's possible that Peter... I was like, let's stay here so that you don't have to go do that. His request implied the option of security, the option of comfort over the cross. Let's, let's make a place of permanence on this mountaintop. Maybe it's going to be our headquarters, right? But when you look at powerful parallels between the transfiguration and the cross, up on this mountaintop, Jesus is surrounded by Elijah and Moses. But then he goes down, he gets arrested, he goes to the cross, and he's surrounded by two thieves. Because he was willing to do that, one of those thieves was saved, went to paradise eternally because he was willing to go and carry his cross. You look at the transfiguration, and Jesus was affirmed by the voice of God. But you look at the cross as he hung there and he breathed his last breaths. He was affirmed by a Roman centurion who, who just in a moment of faith said this was truly the Son of God. And if he never picked up his cross, never came down off that hill, that life never would have been transformed. Jesus knew we had to break the huddle. It was a time for movement, not encampment. It was a time for momentum, not monuments or, or, or tents. Jesus showed, not just here, but throughout his entire life, this, this important balance of maintenance and mission. Personal maintenance, time to pray, time to, to refocus, and then knowing that there's a mission that's to be had. And maintenance is good. If you have a, a daily time spent with God, that's good. Because that's a lot like deodorant. You can go without it. You might get a couple days in and you're still like, yeah, I'm good. But after three or four days, your life is going to stink. That personal time with God every day is just as important. You might not realize it at first, but after I go four or five days without it, I realize my grace tank is low. I realize my attitude is wrong. I need to spend some time with Jesus. Maintenance is good. It's key. It's important. It's essential. But the mission is just as important. Huddles are good. Get the vision. But huddles are meant to be broken so that we can go step into offense. If you don't break the huddle and get to the line in football within the play clock, what happens? You go backwards. You go backwards. 
You get a five-yard penalty, you move backwards. And a church that isn't actively and creatively sharing the good news is moving in the wrong direction or is dead. Reaching people doesn't primarily happen at the church but through the church. If the good news doesn't make it out the doors, then we're doing it wrong. Now, football might not be your language, so this is for everybody else. Let's use geography. There's two seas that we see around where Jesus walked when he walked the earth. There's the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Dead Sea you probably heard of and you can remember because it's called the Dead Sea, and it's cool because it's ten times saltier than the ocean. So I don't, I've never been there, but I know apparently you can just float, lay, float on the water. I'm not good at that in a regular pool, so that fascinates me, that the Dead Sea. You can just lay there, float with ease read a book, because it's so dense. But all that saltiness, all those minerals also mean that sea life and marine life can't live in it, hence the name the Dead Sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee, which we hear about again and again in the Gospels, is just north of the Dead Sea. And like the Dead Sea, it receives its water from the Jordan River. And with the Sea of Galilee, though, it's full of rich marine life and plants. It's home to dozens of kinds of fishes and enough fishes that we see the disciples. That was their life, was fishing. It's teeming with life. And you can say, how is this? Why? Because it's the same region, same climate, same Jordan River feeding both bodies of water. But the difference is the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then water flows back out keeps it healthy, it keeps it vibrant, it keeps the minerals flowing through. But the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is so far beneath sea level that nothing flows out. There's no outlet. It becomes so full of minerals that it's unfit for life. And in the same way, the church, it's not just called to be a, a reservoir or a dam where the water of life gets stopped up, and we can be filled, and we can be filled, and we can be filled. We're meant to have a flow that goes out of our life, where we're sharing the life that we've received where we're a conduit. You know, the Holy Spirit fills us and equips us to to share the good news. Will the gospel stop at our heart or will it run through us? Will the gospel stop within these four walls or will it go out the four doors that we have here with us? You know, I don't want to die with the good news trapped inside of me like the the minerals are in the Dead Sea. I want to know that it flowed out of my life and because of that, I had life. We find life when we step into moments of reaching and evangelism. It's almost exactly like the analogy Jesus has where he says, you don't light a candle and then hide it. So come on, that's a pretty mental image, though, but what does that look like practically? So, again, to borrow from football, what are some plays we can run? And the first, some of you guys that were so uh, fascinated by the geography, like he's really going back to football now. Yes. The first play to run is, is share the gospel. We talked about it last week. You can podcast last week, but if we're students of the gospel, we never graduate. Because again, like, like the quote, I think it was C.J. Mahaney who said, it's got more facets than a diamond. It's, it's depths we can't get to the bottom of because the gospel is just that deep. So we should learn it, we should live it, and we should share it. Another quote that we hit on a while back was that if, if you aren't touching people with the gospel, then it probably hasn't touched you. If you aren't touching people with the good news, then the good news probably hasn't impacted you as much as God wants it to. Another good quote, was anybody here at the CYP event that David, the secret church, David Platt hosted? Right? A good quote by him that I read the other day is that gospel possession requires gospel proclamation. It's a strong word, requires. 
But gospel possession requires gospel proclamation. See, the goal in football isn't just to possess the football. It's to advance the football. And our goal as a church can't just be to, to possess the keys to the kingdom that Jesus gave to Peter. It's got to be to advance the kingdom. And I get it. It's intimidating. I'm an introvert. I was an art major at William & Mary because my goal in life was to wake up in the morning, not even get out of my pajamas, walk into a room, turn on some hip-hop, and paint, and call it a day when I was done with whatever painting I was painting. Didn't have to interact with anybody, could just be introverted 24-7. That was my goal in life. But luckily, I I met God as a senior at William & Mary, and and like Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus, wow, Pastor Fred (laughs) says, God always has more, and his more is always better. I think highly of Pastor Fred, apparently, (laughs) as you should. But share the gospel. A second play you should run is is share your story. Favorite movie might be hard, but what's a a favorite movie you've seen over the past year or so, just recently, a movie you saw that was like, man, that was good. I'll start it off. I saw Creed recently. I was like, man, that that was good. The Martian, another good one. Revenant. That's intense, and it's going to take four hours of your life, but that's a good one, too. Star Wars, absolutely. Big Hero 6, nice. Shout out to Denise as well. You were watching, your Sunday was watching A Bug's Life. I saw that. That was not missed. But you know what all these movies have in common and what makes them so great from Creed to Big Hero 6 is there's a story. And what captivates people are stories and why people spend millions of dollars on movies every weekend is because they love stories. You know what I have to include in my sermons, otherwise I'll lose you, is illustrations and stories. But stories need to be honest and authentic or they'll come off like a a stiff, terrible movie. could get into some bad movies we've seen, but that would be a waste of time. Again, like the first question, I like to take notes that I can, oh, that was a good movie, let me go watch it. That was a good restaurant, let me go eat there. But when it comes to sharing your story, it's not like Forrest Gump, per se, starting from day one. Well, I was born in 68 or whatever it might be, but you should be able to tell somebody because you don't always have time to give your entire life story in just a couple minutes what God has done in your life or what God has done recently in, in this past season how he's impacted you, and you know what? If you don't even get in-depth in that, you can share where he's impacted you. You know, God impacted my life at a church in Williamsburg that's now called Life Church that planted City Life, and, and I was impacted at that altar. I could point to where it was, and, and I, my passion was like, I need to get people to this church because I know it changed me, and it can change them. And if this church has changed you, then we've got reach cards out there. We actually just printed off Welcome Weekend cards. Welcome Weekend is where we just go over who we are as a church. We try to get people here because through that, we, we do Discovering City Life, where they can discover what we're all about, step into membership. So if you've even been asking questions about that, that's coming in May. But we want to make it easy to share about your church. That's why we're doing this whole uh, church on Saturday, fill in the blank on Sunday. But you know what? If we're truly to be witnesses, we've all got stories to tell. Because we have a compelling story in which we can invite every person we pass. The continual story of God working in us, redeeming us, and making us all things new. And you know, this might even seem too vague and too practical, but the last one is just this. Share your life. You know, again, I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ and start following Christ until my senior year at William & Mary. So I have a lot of college buddies I still talk to almost daily that 
are from before I knew Jesus and who really still don't want anything to do with Jesus, even after a decade of, of, of me talking to them and now I'm a pastor. But, but I still do life with them. I still pray for them. I'm still praying and believing for them because I know that as I continue to share my life with them, that they'll see God in me. You know, a drive-by approach to communication. It may seem more appropriate than ever in this generation, which seems more ADD than ever, but the opposite is true. Relationship, context, connection, it's still as important or more important than ever in communication. We can't become all about hit and run and tweet-length conversations when we present the gospel. It's easy, but, but share your life. Serve somebody, ask questions, listen, respond. You know, Acts 4.13, it says that people were struck because the apostles had been with Jesus. The religious leaders were shook because they could just tell these men had been with Jesus. And it wasn't because they were full of facts, but it was because they were full of his spirit. And people around them could see that they had been with Jesus, not because they were full of facts and could rattle things off, but they were full of hope. And they were unschooled, ordinary men. After I was schooled, and I graduated from William & Mary, I had a buddy. We could call him a funny name, but we just, won't, we just won't say his name. He called me after college. He was like, you wanted him at your party. You were going to throw a party in college. Whether he was hosting it, you would go. If you were hosting a party, you wanted him there because he was just the life of the party. And I remember after I graduated sometime that summer, he called me out of the blue. He's maybe called me a half dozen times in his life. But he called me because he was struggling. He was struggling with just the lust of the eye, struggling with just the fact that we're surrounded every day as men by just so much borderline or straight up pornographic things. And he was asking me, what can I do? How did you overcome this? And what's funny is that 22, a new believer, I was no expert at this. I had struggled in that area, but it wasn't about qualification. He had simply seen my life my last year at college he knew there was hope, and he wanted a piece of it. And I wish I could say that that conversation ended with a conversion, right, me sharing the gospel with him, but it didn't. But you know what? It's just this reminder that very rarely will you talk somebody in two to three minutes into belief. More often than not, you'll love them into it. That relationship you build, that's often a bridge that the Holy Spirit will walk over to impact somebody's life. And those are just three practical ways to take to offense, to not just take offense, but to take to offense. And if we could close and just have the worship team come up. Again, last week at uh, Outcry, it was awesome. Anthony, I heard you didn't know who Martin Smith was. He's my man. <laughs> my dad was huge on Delirious, but he, that was actually one of my favorite parts of Outcry. He's been a part of Delirious for decades. He's probably done 100 shows all over the world in all these different countries. And he was just playing acoustic for Jesus Culture. Like, it was no thing. Right? So you're, I'm like, I think that's Martin Smith, but I feel like he would have led a song by now. He was just cool, playing the guitar. And at the very end of their set, he, uh, he led the song. I think it's called Set a Fire. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. And it was awesome because it was one of those moments where, like, the worship set is over. We need to get off the stage. But the crowd just kept singing it kept singing it, kept singing it, and I was just sitting there like, man, anytime where I can hear the crowd sing, it just gets me choked up because I think, man, this is what heaven's going to be like. As you know, prayers for revival, 
filled that place again and again. Prayers for churches. It's powerful. Brian Houston praying over pastors. And we want that. We desire that. That as we sang that the spirit of the Lord would be here every week. That the fans or the flames of revival would be fanned again and again every week. But the thing is, if, if we have flames of revival here and we don't go out and share what God's doing, it's like we're warming our hands at the fireplace or the hearth and while the world around us freezes. We're called to take that light with us. Take a candle, take a torch, whatever it might be. We're, we're called to pick up a cross and carry it. Again, to go all the way back to the story we started with. In 2 Kings 7, 8, it says they were eating, they were drinking. These lepers that came into that camp, they were carrying silver, gold, and clothes stuff. They're like, all right, this is cool. And they were hiding it, saying, all right, I'm going to come back for this later, but I'm going to hide this because this is good. I want it for myself. But eventually they said, hey, we aren't doing this right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. And for them, it was a day of some good news. But we live in the day of the good news. That again, the enemy is defeated. We don't have to hunker down in whatever our Samaria is when it seems like we're surrounded by a culture that doesn't believe as we do. But we can share the good news we have. How much more as eager as they were to share it should we be eager to share it? Just think about it. Like all four of them knew the good news and the hope. I can imagine when like they were before the king, they were before the people, every one of them wanted to share it, speaking over each other like, hey, hey, I've got the good news. We've got the good news. The enemy is defeated. You can come out of hiding. Romans 1.16, Paul says, it's the news. Again, I am most proud to proclaim. Later, again, in that same chapter, he said it's what he's most eager to share. He says in Romans 11, verses 13 through 15, Romans 11, 13 through 15, he says, because my personal assignment is focused on the so-called outsiders, I make as much of this as I can when I'm among my Israelite kin, the so-called insiders, hoping that they'll realize what they're missing and want to get in on what God is doing. See, Paul realized that when you tap out of reaching out, you miss out. People desire purpose. One of my deepest desires throughout, throughout my life, whether I was saved or not, was to know that before I died, I was going to make a difference in whatever way that would be. What greater purpose do we have than connecting people to the very source of life, the very source that can cure all their problems, Jesus, the giver of life. Paul realized that when you tap out of reaching out, you miss out. And you know what? Sometimes you miss Jesus. Because in the Gospels, where did you find Jesus again and again? So many of his interactions, they didn't happen within the four walls of a church. He was out in the streets ministering. He said his goal was to seek and save the lost. Come on again, you want to grow? You want to grow closer to Jesus? Live a life that seeks and saves the lost? You'll find him there. His spirit will be in you, giving the words to say, giving you the boldness to do it. Again, don't think, well, I'll grow and then I'll start reaching people. You start reaching people, sharing what you have, letting the Holy Spirit give you boldness in the moment, then you'll grow and you'll keep growing. Again, Jesus, like God, he cared about the all and he cared about the none. And he knew the score. That's why he didn't stay on that mountain of transfiguration. It's why he came back down. He knew that even on the cross, people were going to come to faith through him. Come on, if we could stand. Closed last week. I was talking about Judgment Day and how all our friends 
and acquaintances, co-workers, neighbors will be there with us. And if, if we would have, if they were to turn to us and say, well, why didn't you explain all these points of the gospel to me? And we said, well, I didn't want to offend you. That's not going to go over well in the moment. Another one that won't go over well in the moment is, well, why didn't you share the good news with me? And well, I was, I was more focused on my personal walk and my personal maintenance than I was the mission God gave me. And I don't say that again to motivate us out of a, a sense of guilt. But come on, let's have a, a grasp of grace about what it meant to us and what it can mean to each and every person we pass every day. And come on, the... the the gift we have is the Holy Spirit that came down in tongues of fire and the book of Acts and wants to fill every one of us with the boldness we need to walk out what we need to walk out, to carry our cross, to reach the people around us. So let's go into this song, the same one that Jesus Culture and Martin Smith sang last week at Outcry, this set of fire deep in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control, that we wouldn't be able to contain within the four walls of this building. We wouldn't be able to contain. It's like the prophet Jeremiah said, God gave me a word. God gave me something. And if I tried to hold it in, I'd be consumed. It's like a fire in my bones. Let's pray for that. God, let your gospel, your good news consume us. God, let it be something we can't contain and we can't control. Come on, let's worship God in this moment. 